Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 123 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Tim Raderstorff joining us, and he's the Chief Innovation Officer over at the Ohio State College of Nursing, and I'm excited. I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Tim's got a lot of great insight into the healthcare and nursing industries, and he's also an entrepreneur himself. Before we get to that, I want to take a quick moment, as usual, to thank all the incredible sponsors and supporters here at Conquering Columbus. So I'm going to kick it over to Josh to tell you a little more about our first sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our next sponsor is Share. For the rides that you take the most, ride with Share. Share is a new transportation company now driving Columbus. Schedule your ride and Share picks you up at your door with professional drivers and a growing fleet of connected vehicles. Share is now hiring with entry-level management positions available. You can learn more about careers with Share at drivewithshare.com. I'd also like to give a shout out to Molly Ross. Molly Ross is an independent designer who focuses on branding and web design. She wants to connect with you, hear your story, and partner to create something beautiful that will help your business be more successful. If you'd like to check out some of Molly's work or connect with her, you can go to mollyross.com. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we've got Mr. Tim Raderstorff joining us, and Tim is a nurse, entrepreneur, and chief innovation officer at the OSU College of Nursing. And during his time in the healthcare industry, he's researched a variety of fields, including neurosurgical research on tethered spinal cord syndrome and improving patient throughput in the pediatric hematology and oncology ambulatory settings. And we'll have to have him explain what that all means later, but he's also an entrepreneur 
and an innovator founding the Innovation Studio, a movable makerspace Frankenstein together with an idea incubator to promote interprofessional collaboration at The Ohio State University, amongst other projects. And we're really excited to have him here to talk with us today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Tim. Thanks, Mike and Josh. Happy to be here. Excited. Uh, I was thinking of this on the way over. What's the equivalent on podcast of first time or first time caller, long time listener? I don't is know. there one? Is there, I don't know. I guess. I don't, know. And I don't even know if that's a podcast joke. I've never heard anyone say it before, but now I'm, now I'm worried that I'm being cliche. And it's like an NPR joke. I like yeah. it. I think, you know, if you're, uh, I guess it's kind of like lurking on Reddit where, you know, like, oh, I've been lurking on this, this, uh, <laughs> never mind. I'm getting into a pretty nerdy area. I like so like uh, <laughs> we can nerd out for the next hour. Right. It's all good. Right. Exactly. Well, where we like to start, Tim, is we kind of like to kick it back and talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Uh, maybe starting all the way back into childhood and going to college and kind of how you got into nursing. So cool. feel free to take it away. Yeah, so a uh, very untraditional pathway. I grew up in Dayton, Kettering area. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Went to a prep school there called Alter High School. Was pretty good at math and science growing up. So at that school, if the boys were good at math and science, they went into uh, or, or were pushed into being uh, pre-med students. And if they weren't, then they were pushed into being law students. Um, that was kind of the, the two pathways that we were always uh, pushed towards. And so I, I came to Ohio State thinking I want to be a primary care physician focused on bedside manner because I, I really like working with people. I wasn't so much into the science behind it as it was that human interaction and really wanted to take care of people, solve, solve meaningful problems in real time. When I came to Ohio State, the only three majors that were pre-med at the time were chemistry, biology, and human nutrition, all three of which were not that interesting to me. Uh, so I designed my own major at Ohio State, which was uh, humanistic medicine. And it was like a combination of all the pre-med courses that you would have. And then I went back and found all the things that I thought would make for a good physician, a good bedside physician. So it was psychology, sociology, geriatric care, a lot of pediatric-based uh, courses as well because I wanted to be able to just interact with people and have, have good conversations with them and really get to the root of their cause. So I did that at Ohio State, but while I was, down, while I was doing that, one, organic chemistry was not my friend, uh, and two, I spent two summers living with a neurosurgeon down in Cincinnati doing research with him and saw um, the toll of that lifestyle on him, and that really made me rethink, like, wow, is, is being a physician really something I want to do? Is there another way to get these human interactions with people that really provide meaning for me? I ended up having a significant pivot there. I, I moved in my parents' basement after college, uh, started teaching special ed because I thought, oh, that, that's another way that I can work with kids and, and have some meaningful connections. Um, but while I wasn't teaching, I was working at a summer camp for kids with cancer and HIV. And at that camp, I saw what the nurses were doing. And I was like, ah, here it is. That's what I want to do. So um, I, I quit the teaching job and went back and got my master's at Xavier in Cincinnati. Uh, did a, a direct entry program there, so my my what I thought was a worthless pre-med major actually paid off pretty well because a lot of the prereqs were the same. Uh, so I was able to get into that program, and that led me to coming up here to Columbus, working as a nurse. Yeah, and there's a lot to unpack there. There's a there's lot a of lot. different steps in there. I yeah. think it's interesting that, you know, I had a kind of a similar experience in college, and, and you think you know what you want to do, right, when you get to college. You're like, I mean, not everybody, so right? yeah. this is like certain type of person like okay I'm gonna do this and then things completely pivot so while you're in college you go through all this stuff I mean did you ever regret the classes you take or did they continue to help you kind of what what was your thought process on yeah. like, hey man I just spent all this time working on this degree and maybe not gonna use it as much 
It, it, honestly, that didn't really dawn on me to my senior year. So my senior year was pretty rough, actually, because I, I realized med school wasn't going to happen and it wasn't the right path for me. And all my other friends were like doing, going on job interviews and I was like, well, maybe I'll volunteer at a summer camp or something along those lines. So um, it, it, it's weird. I, I was thinking of this today. I was having a, a, a conversation with a high level executive at Ohio State about my, my pathway in my career. and. Uh, all these touch points throughout of where I thought I knew where I was going next. And uh, there hasn't been a point in my career where it hasn't had a pretty major pivot within a three or four year period. Um, so it's interesting because I'm, I'm getting to the end of a three or four year period right now of, of having some, some linear um, pathway within my profession and it feels great. Um, but I've never been in this position before, so it's kind of weird how that continues, not just within college, but going all the way back, you know, going into my professional career. Um, you know, as in, I've been in nursing for eight years, I think I've had nine titles. Um, so it's constantly changing, lots of new opportunity, um, and I never really know if I'm aiming at the right point, uh, but I'm, I got the pedal down and we're going in that direction. And once you get that chief title, it's like, where else do you go? I mean, that's <laughs> not much higher than that. Um, yeah. So when you land that first nursing job, what does your path look like from there? You mentioned every three to four years, you kind of mm -hmm. take a little bit of pivot. Um, kind of take us to that pathway. Yeah. So I was fortunate to graduate with a master's of science in nursing. So in the nursing world, you have master's prepared nurses who are nurse practitioners, and then you have masters who are prepared nurses who don't do the nurse practitioner route, uh, and they tend to be more in administrative services. So um, I got out, I worked at the bedside here at Nationwide Children's on their, on their HEMOC unit, and uh, less, just before my 13-month anniversary, I took a role as a, a clinic manager there. So we had five clinics um, with about 50 employees that I was in charge of. I had one, in a, one year of nursing experience, and now I was managing all these incredible women uh, with you know, some of them more years as a nurse than I had as a human being. And so that was a really interesting experience. I learned a, a lot about what not to do. Um, and I think that actually kind of goes back to your question about, uh, about having these changes in your career and, and, and finding that you're not really going in the direction that you're at. I've ran into this multiple times throughout my career, figuring out what I'm not. And what I'm not is I'm not someone who's meant to have 50 direct reports. I, I tend to be more of a visionary and, and not focus so much on the um, on the daily tasks that need to be completed, I, I like having more of a deeper view of what needs to happen and, and allow individuals to have the autonomy to create that. And when I start getting down in the weeds, I micromanage at times, and that's not something that I I like doing. And it's something that I I become aware of quickly. And then there's a lot of questioning about is this the right thing for me. So I learned that pretty quickly at Children's uh, when I switched from the bedside to being a manager. It's that transition and getting in that being comfortable with being uncomfortable phase that really got me to the point of, of moving to the next role and then the next you know six seven roles after that besides just what you learned about yourself did you learn anything else about uh, just working with people and motivating people in general from being a manager over 50 different individuals yeah um, one is that there's no right way to do it uh, and there are a lot of wrong ways to do it I don't even know if I can look back and say I really enjoyed that experience I can look back and say that that experience has been something that definitely I learned a lot of lessons from, uh, but it wasn't something that I wanted. I would I would uh, say that any day I walked out of that office thinking, yes, we did it today. The thing I learned most from that actually is 
is internal and in, in kind of figuring out having the confidence to recognize when you may not be in the right position and getting yourself out of it in a way that's meaningful both for the organization that you're working for and for your future development. And then how did you find your way out of that? So the really cool thing about moving that clinic or those five clinics into four and, and uh, learning about process improvement and figuring out that you know a hospital and healthcare, as you know, is an incredibly inefficient beast is that once you have some experience in that, people start asking for your expertise and recruiting you to other positions. So uh, Ohio State was doing the same thing. They were taking their emergency department, which was in the basement of their main hospital, and expanding that into um, the basement of the James Hospital. So the new $1.1 billion hospital that was being built was going to take a 45-bed unit and turn it into a 110-bed unit. So they, uh, I, I had been in a transition period at, at Children's and some people were saying, you know, what do you want to do next? And I got connected to Ohio State who was, who was doing the same stuff that I was really enjoying at Children's and it just seemed like a great, great time to move on to the next thing. So you get to Ohio State and you're working on, on this emergency bed move, mm -hmm. or sorry, the emergency room move and adding these new beds and adding this facility underneath the basement of the James. So what was that process like and, you know, what was your day-to-day -day like at that time? Yeah, so um, this is another area where I found out that I like the components of a job, but not necessarily the job itself. So I love process improvement, right? Um, so I moved into this role. I was the, the quality manager for the emergency department, and it was all based off of, of measurable components. So we had all these metrics that we needed to improve, and you know, you guys are, are from the athletic world, you, you know how great it is when you actually have a, a target to, to shoot for, right? What I loved was having the opportunity to measure these outcomes, but what I didn't love is that I wasn't the bedside clinician anymore, so I didn't have the opportunity as much to impact them. I could strategize with our team about how to potentially address those, but I wasn't able to actually put that into practice myself. You know, you're coming into more of a coaching role, and again, you've got over 100 employees who you're trying to manage to meet these expectations, and they have a lot of other things, not just metrics to deal with, but actually saving people's lives. Um, so there's you know, a, a bigger component to it and a bigger issue underlying there. But my day-to-day -day was actually mostly spent uh, running, crunching numbers, running data. Every day when I walked in that job, I ran a query of all patients who had been in the emergency department for more than four hours. And then I sent that email of, of those individuals, communicated that with all of our hospital managers so that they knew where we needed to move patients throughout the system to get them into a safer place. Because the emergency department is there to save your life. It's not there to sustain your time in the hospital. So once you're in the emergency department, you're stable, it's much safer to get you to the unit that you're supposed to be on. So I helped with a lot of process and throughput through that. But you can imagine sending an email to everyone every day. <laughs> um, you, you grow a reputation pretty quickly of being the guy who sends that annoying email. On. Right. Um, so that, that was not necessarily my, my favorite part of the role. But we worked on other awesome things like um, hand hygiene and, and uh, other metrics that were set about by the Affordable Care Act that really moved us from a volume-based healthcare to a value-based healthcare. So those metrics that I talked about are all really important things that improve outcomes, uh, but we needed to uh, find a better way to implement them. And I, I was more on the uh, measurement side than the operational side. So again, I learned something that I'm not. I'm not someone who, who's comfortable sitting at the computer all day running, running the numbers and, and uh, 
want to be more involved in the strategy about okay now we have this knowledge how do we how do we make it better for everybody you were brought in from because of your prior experience and then you were expected to kind of apply that and be efficient at the job were there any like ups and downs with that experience where you thought like maybe i mean i think i would personally be a little bit nervous in terms of can i pull this off like yeah. am i kind of that imposter syndrome yeah imposter syndrome is something that comes and goes with me sometimes i get totally overconfident and uh and i don't know if egotistical is the right word but maybe that can be the case sometimes i you know i'm under the impression that anything's possible and that's not always um not always true so yeah i i was taken back by how little impact i actually could have and i don't mean that in, in any form of disrespect to anyone else it was just you know I thought that we'd, I'd be able to achieve more in the role, and it just wasn't something that was feasible at such a large scale. So again, it's, you know, I'm going from managing uh, 50 people to now uh, running quality for a unit that has over 100 nurses and PCAs, and then there's 50 physicians. So figuring out how to navigate now the, the multiple expectations and, and goals for different providers within that unit was something that um, certainly made me feel like an imposter at times. And then what does the next move look like? And did you seek it out or did it find you? And uh, it found me. So um, while I was interviewing for this job, I came up with an invention. And uh, it was actually geared towards helping receive more resources for the move. So when we were, uh, we were going to be moving to that new hospital, I, I was interviewing for the position. And I said, you know, I, to the hiring director at the time, I know, I, I just went through this at Children's, I know you're not getting all the resources you need to be successful within, within the hospital just because of time constraints, budget constraints, and, and you build some, you plan something five years back and then things change. So not everything gets, gets updated as it needs to go. And he said, you're right, we're, we're gonna build out this hospital, uh, this emergency department, it's gonna be one of the largest in the nation, and we're not gonna have a single door on any of our patient rooms. And we know in a hospital that the three biggest complaints in emergency department are privacy, noise, and wait time in reverse order there. So we're going to address wait time by having more beds. Hopefully people are going to get back and won't have to wait as much. But then when it comes to privacy and noise, we have no way to fix that because we're just going to put a curtain on these rooms. So I said, well, when I come back, I'll, I'll have an idea for you where I think we can, where we can address that issue. So I came back, I pitched my idea to him, um, which is now my, my startup, and um, he said, this is great, let's get in front of the C-suite. So within three months of starting that job, I'm in front of the C-suite at the hospital pitching this idea to them. And at the end of that presentation, they say, this is great, we like where you're going, we don't love it yet, we think you're green, and you need to get some support from across the university to figure out how you can take it from A to Z here. Uh, but we're gonna help you with A, and we're gonna give you the doors. So um, I was pretty fortunate to get that high-level experience from the start and, and be able to have uh, some impact there. But at the end of the meeting, they said that the first person you need to go to to get support is the dean of the college nursing, Bern Melnick. She's a dynamic leader. She has, she's an entrepreneur, and she'll give you some advice and, and hopefully some support to get this off the ground. My director and I go over to, to meet with Dean Melnick a couple months later, or about a month later, pitch her idea to her, and she says, this is fantastic. You have my support. Uh, and are you faculty here at the College of Nursing? I said, I'm sorry, I don't understand your question. I, I work in the med center. We don't have dual appointments or anything. She said, no, I know that, but we have a lot of adjunct faculty. I don't know everyone. Are you one of them? I said, no. She said, do you have a master's degree? I said, yes. Yeah. She said, congratulations. You're now adjunct faculty here at the College of Nursing. I said, 
really? And she said, yeah, we, we're always looking for people with a gleam in their eye and a fire in their belly to come work with us, and we'll find a way to collaborate moving forward. Uh, within about two months of that, the College of Nursing was reaching out to me to teach their quality programs uh, in, their master's, uh, in their master's coursework. So um, I started teaching, and then about a year later, they said, hey, we really like your teaching. Would you consider coming over here part-time to run our continuing education program? And I said, I, I'm not really interested in a part-time role, but if you want to combine my teaching and continuing ed together and make that a full-time role, I'm your man. And they said, great. And I left the hospital bedside and, and that management component moved into academia and uh, really haven't looked back since. And what's the time frame on this switch? Where are we talking? Is this three or four years ago? All right. So we are, uh, yeah, four years ago. So I graduated from my nursing degree in, in uh, May of 2010, mm -hmm. started at Children's in August of 10, left Children's in September of, 13, of 12. Mm -hmm. Took, I retired for a month and then started at, uh, at um, Ohio State in December of 12. Okay. By June of, of 13, I was teaching it at um, Ohio State at the College of Nursing and then full-time there in, in August of 14. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then so are you still working, I mean, in startup, right? The startup's still going on while you're mm -hmm. doing this teaching. So what's that process like? I mean, teaching having a full-time teaching job has got to take a lot out of you. How are you finding the time to split between these two? Yeah, so a startup in healthcare is, is a little different than a startup outside of healthcare because the first thing that you need is data, right? And our product is a product, our, our, our first-line product is a product that goes into hospitals. So um, the majority, it, it took us five years to go from ideation to implementation and for a pilot. And a lot of that was navigating the data security, HIPAA compliance, I had a transition in my life where my father-in-law passed away and we were considering moving to my wife's hometown in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, so that put a, a pretty big blip in intellectual property and figuring that out. And then once we finally realized we were staying here, trying to navigate that system. So most of the startup experience that I had up until that point was basically entity forming um, and then figuring out how to navigate the complex system of healthcare to get a pilot up and running at Ohio State. In the last few months now, we've been looking at the transition from moving into pilot phase into a scalable software solution, trying to find a technical co-founder, which uh, I think I may be able to announce next week, hopefully. But it, it's a huge challenge because not only am I doing that, I, I have a real estate uh, rental down in Cincinnati from, from Xavier that we transitioned to a business there. Um, so there's a, I've had a couple, a couple other entrepreneurial endeavors. I, I worked for a mindfulness startup as well. Um, so it, the balancing pre-kids pretty, was pretty simple for me. It was just you know whatever I did after work was kind of my fun time and uh, was able to get the business. Now that I have three-year-old twins, it becomes a little bit more challenging to figure out, you know, do I have the energy to do this at nine o'clock when this is done, um, or when, when they're in bed, and, and is this where I should be putting my energy at nine o'clock, or should I try and get rid of this beer gut and, and do some other things for my for myself? So <clears throat> that takes us to today and kind of lays out what your uh, allocation of time and like mm -hmm. what your bandwidth is like. What do the initiatives look like at a high level? Like, what are the big things that you're focusing on mm -hmm. at this moment and um, you could even carry that forward into what you think the next, you know, five to ten years will look like. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of right now, uh, my my key KPIs are are fo focused on kind of two, three main levels. One 
is um, the Innovation Studio, which you mentioned. That's our, our movable makerspace at Ohio State that I founded in 2017. Um, and that's geared kind of as a funnel. It's not an entrepreneurial initiative in theory. It's, it's actually an innovation interprofessional collaboration component. So some of these projects that we see there, those are actually like people who, who just want to hack something together, make something for the kids or figure out you know, is 3D printing something that I can learn a little bit about so that when I have an idea for healthcare, I have that knowledge base. And so, it, you know, it's a maker space first idea incubator. And then sometimes those things funnel down into commercial ventures. Uh, but we don't follow the commercial ventures that are metric. We follow the interaction. So the biggest KPI that I have is the number of interprofessional teams that we, um, that we bring through the innovation studio and, and continue to engage with them. The cool thing about the studio is that it moves every seven weeks during, this, during the academic year. So right now we're in College Nursing Newton Hall. Next week we're going to be in Thompson Library, which is the main library on campus. After that we're going to the med school. Uh, last year we were at College of Engineering, College of Design. So it's all over the place trying to get new people to come in. And we always put it in the lobby of the building. So it's a high traffic area where if you walk in you're like, what the heck is that thing doing there? That, that's how we kind of push towards those KPIs. The other thing that we look to is um, is community engagement. So we run two big uh, community-focused uh, workshops each year. In the, in the spring, in the spring we run our interprofessional innovation symposium, where we talk to uh, founders and co-founders of biz healthcare businesses that have leveraged interprofessional collaboration for success. So last year we had Cover My Meds, we had Matt Scantlin, and then we had um, a couple of his team members with pharmacy backgrounds and vet, vet backgrounds and they were able to showcase how that's led to uh, them finding new business initiatives and, and, and implementing their growth. So we, we do that in the spring, uh, and then in, in the fall we run our healthcare or innovation and entrepreneurship workshop, which is geared towards helping clinicians either be more innovative in the workplace or uh, helping them find out what it really takes to, to take the entrepreneurial leap. And then the third thing we do community focused, and we'll be doing this on November 13th, this, uh, this coming next month, is that we will, we have an initiative called the Starting Line where we've taken the innovation studio, the maker space that we have, and we bring the maker components to a business in Columbus that's been founded by a young professional. And then we talk to that young professional about their journey to and through entrepreneurship. And don't focus so much on the tech behind it, but why entrepreneurship, um, how it's impacted their lives, what myths about entrepreneurship aren't myths and are actually true, and they've experienced some of the harder aspects of it, and then what are the things about entrepreneurship that they thought may be true that ended up not being the case. And then after that, we purposely invite mentors into the room. So we have legal experts, marketing experts, programmers, makers, pretty much any type of individual that you may need to help you get your idea off the ground. Uh, we have them self-identify in the room and say, hey, you know, I'm here and I can help people figuring out how to start an entity, or uh, I can introduce you to a couple programmers who uh, will do a reduced rate for their first 10 hours of a build-out or something along those lines. Um, and then the entrepreneurs in the audience now know what resource, uh, resources are around them, and then they take 10 minutes to set an intention for what they're going to do to advance their business that day. And then the mentors spread out throughout the room, and it's up to the entrepreneurs to then go out and hustle and figure out who they need to talk to to achieve whatever it is that they wrote down that day. So uh, we did that five times over the last year from, did our first one at Wolf's Ridge, we did our last one at Land Grant, and then did non-breweries in between uh, with Zoco Design, uh, Root Insurance, and uh, Empower Bus. And then we're gonna do our year-end bash at, at the Idea Foundry on November 13th. 
which is actually going to be a longer drawn out day. It goes from 10 to 6.30 with Upside FM doing a live podcast and talking about the resources that are here within the Columbus ecosystem that can really help people get their ideas off the ground. Shout out to Jay Klaus out there at Upside FM. Yes. <laughs> so anything that kind of sticks out in particular that you've learned throughout doing the starting line and these different companies that you've been able to sit down with? Yeah. One is that it's really hard to find these people. I'm sure you guys have experienced this in Columbus that um, – you know, I, I go to a ton of networking events and there's people that are out there um, seem to be really well attended. Um, but it, it for us, it was a little bit of a challenge to get people to come to the table. We, you know, our largest event had over 120 registrants at it. Our smallest event had two people show up at it. But that smallest event was probably the most impactful one because those two individuals who were there got two hours of FaceTime with the founders of a startup, and one of them is now volunteering with that startup and will likely become their first employee when they have the capital to pay them. So it's just really cool to see um, the community come together, but it's really hard to get everyone together. The other thing that you know I'm always amazed with uh, and I've seen through the starting line is that we have one of the most collaborative communities that I've ever been part of here in Columbus. I haven't had, no one said no to me yet, so it's really interesting to see these people in, in relatively competitive fields coming together and just be like, hey, rising tide raises all ships. Let's figure out how we can do this and, and continue to support each other and have success. And that's probably the, the thing that I've learned most and been most impressed with through the starting line. Uh, yeah, I think that's something that Josh and I have seen as well here on the show and just talking to people around the city. I mean, everybody's willing to talk about what they're doing mm-hmm. and support each other. And when you talk, start talking about yeah, hey, this is who we were talking to last week. It seems like every time we say it, someone says, oh, I know them. Yeah. And they're, like, connected in some way. So I definitely think that's one of Columbus's strengths. But what about outside of the chief innovation officer role and mm-hmm. with your startup? Kind of what do you have going on there in terms of KPIs and what, are your, what do your goals look like? So right now we are doing two two key goals in our future. One is that because we are um, a spin-out out of Ohio State, we are eligible for TVSF funding. I don't know if you guys have talked about that in the past, but essentially it's third frontier funding that's been earmarked from the state to help um, technologies out of universities, not just Ohio State, but every state university, find either customers or uh, capital, mm-hmm. essentially. So um, we are, are looking to uh, apply for that. Uh, we've applied before, we haven't gotten it, but we have another opportunity this December. Um, and we've gotten feedback as to what we need to address. So we're now focusing on those two or three things that we need to address to make that a more meaningful uh, application and hopefully receive uh, for healthcare startups. It's $150,000 of non-diluted capital. So it can go a long way at, at, you know, at, at that seed stage or even pre-seed early stage. And then two is uh, moving our platform from right now it's on a Raspberry Pi uh, behind Ohio State's firewall, which is awesome to be doing that at Ohio State. Uh, but when we want to do that at the HCAs and, and the Kaiser Permanentes and Mayo Clinics of the world, uh, we're going to have to find a cloud-based solution. So uh, that's why that, that um, technical co-founder is such an important component for us, uh, because why we're operational now, you know, moving from 2.0 to version 50 is probably where we're going to end up getting our market penetration. Uh, so there's going to need to be a lot of work in between. So that's really what we're focusing on and not having that IT background, uh, I got to have that that technical co-founder to help me get to that next step. And that's actually one of the biggest weaknesses of the Columbus ecosystem, mm-hmm. is that uh, there's some awesome, awesome stuff going on here, 
And I think that we're going to be able to see the benefits of, of Cover My Meds exit and Roots valuation coming here soon. But not all that capital has filtered down yet to the to the entrepreneurs who then can go out and take the risk and, and not take a salary for two years and start something else. Uh, so finding someone who's, who's willing to work for equity um, in, a, in a market where, you know, programmers can go out and find a 120K job tomorrow, um, it, it's pretty challenging. Absolutely. I mean, you know, especially with the markets the way they are today and, and the entrepreneurial um, bug that's hitting it, you know, the, yeah. the United States, there's a lot of need for programmers. So it makes a lot of sense that that would be a challenge for you guys. Um, is there, I mean, on the technical side, I, I'd imagine that with HIPAA compliance, things like that, and going to a cloud-based system, there's probably even more challenges there, right? More challenges, but um, the good news is that there's the, one of the benefits of, of the market being a little flooded is that other people have already figured that out. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's challenging to get there, but the parameters are in place. So if you get the right team there, it, it's it's not necessarily a a um, you know red flashing light, which we may have had two or three years ago. But now that now that more people are engaging in this, you know, uh, organizations are becoming more aware that this is the future. And instead of instead of putting up the stop sign, it's putting up the caution and all right, how do we how do we work to the parameters of this and do it really well? And then just on the personal side of things, you know, outside of all the initiatives that you have going on, if there is any mm -hmm. bandwidth allowed, you know, you mentioned you had uh, twin three year olds, right? Mm -hmm. So what do the personal goals look like? Anything else that you like like doing in the free time, hobbies, things uh, like that? Hobbies in the free time. I love golfing, um, and I'm not nearly as good as it as I should be. Uh, but uh, it, it's definitely the way for me to reset my mind. Um, I always walk when I play, unless I'm playing in a scramble or something along those lines. It's, it's just a good way for me to get in, you know, two hours, clear my head. Uh, if I can play with friends, it's awesome. If I can't, though, it's totally fine. Um, and... Luckily, as the twins started napping, there'd be a good two and a half hour window where I could jump out, run out to Gehanna's little nine hole course, uh, play nine holes and get back home by the time the kids woke up. So it was, that, was, that was always nice. Um, but yeah, that, that's one of my big goals. My other one, we just finished, are you guys familiar with the Whole30 diet? Uh, it's basically a Whole Foods uh, with no added sugar, um, no alcohol, no grains, um, so it, it, it's a pretty tedious diet and you do it for 30 days. So we just did it for the month of September. Um, and that's helped me get a little bit more focused back on my, my physical well-being because it's been not a focus of mine. So uh, physical well-being. And then the other big one that uh, if you really want to go into a rabbit hole right now is that my wife and I are, um, are, are followers of the FIRE movement. That's the Financial Independent Retire Early Movement, um, which talks about how working relatively average jobs and, and minding your expenses and, and increasing your savings rate, uh, most people can retire by the time they're 40. Um, and it's it's all based off of science and math and it's evidence-based with uh, stock market investments dating back to the history of the market. Um, but it's just fascinating that it gives you that opportunity. You know, Some people call it FU money, um, but the opportunity to just say, all right, at this stage of my life, I'm only focusing on work that I wanna be focusing on. Uh, so that's a goal for us uh, to be to be able to do that by the time we're 40. Seems like a good goal to me, and I think, Tim, that's probably a good place to pivot towards one of our last questions of the show. Mm -hmm. Actually, the last question of the show. Uh, it's centered around the theme of conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. Mm -hmm. And what do you think of when you hear the phrase, and how does it apply to your life and career? It actually applies directly back to one of the key lessons that I teach. I, I do you know national lectures, and I always start with uh, the 
the innovator and the entrepreneur needs to be comfortable with becoming uncomfortable. Uh, so when I, when I hear that from you guys, I, I, it resonates with me pretty profoundly. Um, and and I, I think that uh, a lot of times we let, we should always be striving for great, but we let not, uh, we, we, we let great get in the way of being good enough for the time being, particularly when it comes to being an entrepreneur and, and just getting things out there. Um, you know, the saying that says, uh, if you're not embarrassed by your first launch, then you waited too long to launch. Uh, it reminds me of, of, of that, of, of being able to just say, listen, here's where we're at right now. We think we can achieve the things that we want to with what, with what we're doing, and it's not gonna be perfect, and we're gonna go out there and, and make it closer to that. Um, so it's a challenging gray area to be in, I think. Uh, I think you guys probably experienced that as athletes, you probably experienced that as professionals, um, that you're never gonna be fully comfortable in wherever you're at. And if you get to the point where you're, you're really comfortable, then have you hit that limit of, of where you should be and are you not challenged enough? So in, in a really roundabout and, and wordy answer to your question, uh, it, it, it resonates pretty heavily with me that finding that level where you are able to just be in the moment where you're at, be uncomfortable, and recognize that it's just a part of life uh, is really where you're gonna end up finding the most success of pushing that boundary zone, getting outside of that, that comfort zone into that, that stretch zone is really where life needs to be led. And uh, I hope that you guys find that continually throughout and that it's something that's a core component of my life moving on. Well, Tim, that's a great answer. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show this evening. And, and again, thanks a lot. Hey, my pleasure. And Conquerors, thanks a lot for tuning in. That's Tim Raderstorff, the Chief Innovation Officer at the OSU College of Nursing. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here, and that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual and more if you want to check out more you can go to gofmx.com conquering columbus is also brought to you in part by the sundown group the sundown group is an ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need including investors mentors capital and talent through business pitch events workshops and classes throughout the state and you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org and our next sponsor is Share. For the rides that you take the most, ride with Share. Share is a new transportation company now driving Columbus. Schedule your ride and Share picks you up at your door with professional drivers and a growing fleet of connected vehicles. Share is now hiring with entry-level management positions available. You can learn more about careers with Share at drivewithshare.com. I'd also like to give a shout out to Molly Ross. Molly Ross is an independent designer who focuses on branding and web design she wants to connect with you, hear your story, and partner to create something beautiful that will help your business be more successful. If you'd like to check out some of Molly's work or connect with her, you can go to mollyross.com. 
Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. You can drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.